shunning stereotype and shattering stigma of being an alcoholic or addict in recovery. This is the Since Right Now podcast, the podcast of SinceRightNow.com and Clean and Sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R. Since right now, I think it's episode 17, we have Joe C. Um, I'll leave it that for now. Um, and the way you're, you're best known to me, and I can't remember how we first interacted, but um, is your, your book Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings. No, wait, hold on, Jeff, just holding the book. Agnostic Musings, musings for 12-Step Life. And Perfect. Um, it's a... Uh, you know, it's a fascinating read. I didn't know what to expect. And obviously, I haven't read the whole thing because what it is for people that don't know is daily sort of meditations yep. um, for, I guess, the agnostic in AA and in recovery. You don't, I, 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 what I appreciate about it is AA is not required <laughs> to, right. to get anything out of the book. It's great. And I was actually going to read today's, but because um, I found it uh, particularly appropriate that, uh, for the quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, whatever course you decide upon, there is always someone to tell you that you are wrong. And actually, it's just that part, um, <laughs> which I find, you know, is is so um, prevalent now that I've come to be a part of this recovery community and understand it better after all these years. There can be a wrong way, <laughs> you know, in, in somebody's eyes somewhere, it, it will be the wrong way. So, Joe. Take no, it away. Thank there's you. There's the another book. more current uh, expression, which is if you ever want to be criticized, especially in a 12 step community, just do something, anything, <laughs> and you'll be criticized. That's funny. The book is the only secular daily reflection book. It's something I went looking for and I couldn't find one. I right. thought in this day and age, it's the 21st century, uh, it isn't intended for non-believers specifically, but it is sort of a secular look at recovery so that, you know, you don't have to fit your worldview into somebody else's way of looking at things. Did you start doing the daily meditation books at one point and were like, you know what, this this is not working. You went on the search for this thing, found out there nothing existed and then said, I'm going to write one. What was that day like? Well, here's how it went. I, I was kind of a, a closet atheist. Right. Considering myself 80% sure, I'll call myself an agnostic. But, uh, you know, I, I have no evidence of some supernatural power that intervenes in my sobriety. Uh, so uh, I go about life as if there is none. And I'm sure if there was, he wouldn't mind as long as I conduct myself uh, well. So I kind of came out of the closet. I would go along to get along, right? Yeah. I used to talk about... Uh, a God as I didn't understand him, and I'd get a laugh. That's and funny. I would say, spiritual awakenings, I don't know. Rude awakenings, let's talk. I've had plenty of those. <laughs> and, you know, people, yeah, just like that, they laugh along, right? right? And so I 
was hiding out in plain view. Right. And uh, the reality was I felt like a bit of an imposter or that other people were having this experience I wasn't having. Mm -hmm. And the Internet kind of set me straight. Uh, I, I mean, I got sober in the 70s and there was no... Uh, internet right. a show like this would have been impossible then right. uh, but in the 21st century we can communicate with uh, people in recovery all over the world and i found this very alive community of people that preferred aa or na or whatever 12-step program they were in without prayer or without a supernatural worldview and I, I got my confidence and I sort of came out. And then, I, and then I went looking for this book. I thought there must be a book just like that. I couldn't find it. And I complained, oh, I was a whiner. And uh, someone said, well, Joe, uh, you write. You've been sober for a few decades. Why don't you write it? And I, I didn't have a rebuttal for that <laughs> other than my knee-jerk reaction, oh, no, I couldn't do that, I'm dyslexic or something, you know. Right. But I, I thought about it, and I thought, well, 365 days, right. you know, that's just uh, really my 10 best ideas every year. Right. <laughs> what, what are they? And I started, you know, writing them down, and, uh, you know, I sort of came up with about 500 Right. And then whittled it down to the 365 most wow. cohesive. Wow. wow! And is it how did so each? Then you had to do a lot of research to get the lead-in quotes and then match it. Yeah. To the thing. How so? How did that process work? Because that it's all good. You know, it's just such a. That's the way the little daily prayer works in A. There's like three parts to it or something. But I think those quotes are brilliant and Me really. Too. They're so modern. You know, just lots of people's views on all kinds of stuff. It's really really great. Well, I, I have always been uh, a reader, and um, I was collecting them as I went along. Yeah. And some of them are just uh, authored as heard around the rooms because yeah. mm -hmm. I, I don't know where they came from. Yeah, I just went looking. And then once I started writing, it was about a five-year process, I started mm -hmm. collecting them wow. anytime I heard one. Uh, someone said in a meeting, uh, I didn't come here trying to save my soul i came here trying to save my ass only later i found out they were connected i thought <laughs> i'm writing that down right, right. <laughs> there you go well that's a good one and what really stands out about the book once i had it in my hands is that i mean it's it's a serious piece of work like i i would have stopped at the quotes and you but you have like a significant amount of thought on yep. on every single day yeah. um and uh you know it's just are they are they randomly put together? Are they grouped by theme, or did you just sort of this feels like a November theme, this feels like a January theme, or did it just kind of fall fall together? There's a, a few little uh, hidden patterns. On the tenth of every month, I talk about a tradition that corresponds oh, with that month. Okay. And then uh, I just like I when I. It was it was quite something. It was like uh, herding kittens when I had all of these things. And which ones do I leave out? Which ones do I put in? And have I already quoted him enough? Or, yeah. I mean, it, when you're going back to you know first century, it, it's very hard to get a fair representation of women because yeah. uh, up until the middle of the last century, they they weren't recorded in history. So. Yeah. You know, I, I tried to make a, a good blend of male, female, sort of conservative, liberal, uh, some 12-step 
culture and some, I mean, there's Dr. Zeus. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think the places you'll go should be handed to everyone when they leave treatment centers. Yeah, it's that's terrific. True. Yeah. I, I <laughs> that's a good that. point. Yeah. Hey, oh, actually, I, I uh, that is something that uh, uh, Roger, a fellow writer, he wrote a book called uh, The Little Book, a collection of uh, alternative 12 steps, uh, which are all, yeah, I mean, there's agnostic versions and Buddhist versions mm-hmm. and uh uh, Native American versions, and uh, but anyhow, how he said uh, that that Dr. Seuss book was uh, was his daily meditation book when he got out of treatment center. The uh, so one one interesting thing, I'm just kind of putting all this together. You go to AA meetings. You obviously know lots about it. What is what is your relationship with the program like? Because I keep thinking as you start to explore all these different kinds of twelve steps and the way they say it, if fundamentally there's still this <clears throat> journey you're on, this like you know, give up, clean up, live up thing that happens. And I wonder, like, for you, when you went through this as an agnostic or atheist, it, what is the thing that creates that psychic change? Or is that still part of the discussion? Or does it just kind of happen easier than that? Well, I think uh, your worldview yeah. is really like what your favorite color is. It isn't something you come to believe. It's something you come to understand, uh, and most of us are just reactively behaving either against or with whatever we grew up with. Mm-hmm. It, it usually is a, a life-changing event that makes you really go, well, wait a minute. I, I don't believe what I'm saying here. What do I really believe? Hmm. And I don't think, you you know, it's not you don't have to correct yourself if you're left-handed to be in recovery. But most people are right-handed. And you don't have to apologize for being an atheist in recovery, but most people uh, believe in a God consciousness. Mm-hmm. I, I, there are universal principles that AA didn't invent yeah. for the, as far as the 12 steps are concerned. Right. And because of that, they can be translated. Some of my friends said, Joe, you just became a, an atheist because you're lazy. <laughs> Take out the steps of the God, there's less work to do. But it, there's there's less delegating, but right. it's the same amount of work. Right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So you go to meetings. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. You're still in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm still a member. I, I at, at times, I am more involved in service commitments than actual recovery meetings, uh, you know, like general service work or public information. Uh, uh, I, I find the history of the 12-step recovery movement fascinating with all of its uh, infighting and how it right. resolves certain right. things. And it's it's almost an uh, anarchist delight, you know, it uh, um, yeah. that inverted triangle really looks like just uh, a, a saying until you get involved in it and you realize that the general service conference for all of the work they do they can't impose a single thing on the groups sure. aa is a hundred and fifteen thousand autonomous countries right. that are a part of the united nations but the un can't tell any of us this is what you got to do right uh, i i kind of like that i do too i well it's interesting because just thinking about and, you know, I always, on this, we hear a lot of people that, you know, say, I went to a meeting, I don't like AA, but there's every single meeting is different. Right. Every single meeting. 
is run differently. If you don't like one, you can always right. find one that you do like. I mean, the other part of that, or not just the only other part, is that you also don't have to like any of them. You don't have to go. Yeah, um, right. That's, do I you sit. still recommend AA for people who have a problem, or do you? Are there other things you would try with them, or do you like? A- absolutely, I I celebrate all recovery. If you're of a mindset where you find, you know, the big book. Uh, patriarchal or if you find it overly religious you know find something else that works for you that's fine uh, not that the big book is necessarily the centerpiece of every meeting you go to some places it's decorative yeah you know and and it rarely gets referred to so and you've been attending aa meetings for how long since 1976 19... i was a teenager okay. when i first came and i didn't plan on staying um i was i'm kind of you shake any family tree and a few alcoholics fall out of it sure and my my family's no different i wasn't the first aa member in the family so someone identified that this kid he's not sowing his wild oats he's got a problem and so uh i got targeted and i avoided oppressive talk about being an alcoholic Mm -hmm. i thought i was a heavy social drinker with bad luck (laughs) alcoholic seems so clinical but uh i i I, so i'd gone to a few meetings just because well if you're not afraid you you got nothing to hide go to a meeting Ah, okay so i'll go and so i I got the the run of it and i I had no intention of uh you know even if i was an alcoholic i would have rather died a tragic alcoholic death than live sober Mm. as a teenager a life of sobriety is not much of a reward for anything, no. it, as you see it when you're 16. But then I started uh, in two-step family tradition. It was suggested to me that my cousin wanted to get sober, and maybe I could take her to a few meetings and be a power of example. And I thought, wow, yeah, yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. Hers was a life worth saving. Yeah. <laughs> Even if mine wasn't, and you know that's that's not by the book recovery. <laughs> that's not the steps. What order? This order? You know, I went from not even really agreeing with step one to step twelve, right, and right. mouthing the words to be a good quote unquote power of example. So that's how you got in. Yeah, that's how I got in. Uh, somewhere in the book, I refer to it as. Getting sober by osmosis. <laughs> That's brilliant. Put my ass in the chair, and I caught it more than I worked for it. So your, I mean, relationship with the what? What, what is it? What? How do we call it? A program? Mm-hmm. Okay, with the program. Uh, I, program. I, I whoa! I, I'll stop you there. I, I won't call it a program. Oh. I call it a fellowship. Oh, fellowship. Okay. You hear that? I joined the program, and, and there is no program to join. The the program is a suggested program that you can take or leave. And I've seen plenty of people who are members of AA, you know, they join a group, they get active, and they dismiss the steps. They see it as uh, superstitious or something. But, you know, they have a desire to stop drinking. They fit the only requirement for membership. Mm -hmm. If they put their hand up to make coffee, people say, yeah, you're making the coffee. And uh, they're part of a, a fellowship. The program is... I mean, it's it's a big part of it for most of us, but mm. it isn't just like going to meetings isn't obligatory. Either is that program or any 
just as any particular type of therapy or anything mm-hmm. else is. So it's interesting because so, at, at this point in my recovery, the the fellowship of the meeting is the most interesting, rewarding, valuable part that I've experienced in the two meetings I've gone to. Um, right. And now that you've you've you know introduced those semantics, which a lot of time I I, I wish. I could avoid the semantics of all this, but um, it, it does help because the program part, I think, is what I'm least interested in, um, which I guess is, isn't particularly unique. But Yeah, well, you would probably find kernels of things you practice in your everyday life in, right. incorporated into the program. That's what Jeff tells me. Yeah, uh, but it, it isn't necessary to do it sort of by the book in order to qualify for membership. No one checks our homework, right. right? We can get a sponsor and work through the steps, but you know, we're, we're not going to uh, have our membership revoked because we uh, disagree with the word powerless, mm-hmm. or we disagree with the fact that we have moral failings. Um, you know, if you have a Taoist kind of mentality, uh, we're all incomplete, but not imperfect. You know, that they're just that's such a judgmental thing to say. Someone's getting sobriety right or someone's getting sobriety wrong. Yeah. Well, it's, and, you know, it's funny after going through and just your site sort of laying out this basic back to basic movements, which you you talk about. And then you have that great Bill W. quote from 1957, where he, yeah. he was very much in the mindset of we'd make pass no judgments on anyone. We want everyone to come to these meetings. And so, but I, I go to a lot of meetings where I feel the same, like this is how it's done kind of attitude, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. And you get that a lot and it's hard to look at that and not be, I mean, these guys have a lot of sobriety, right? So yeah. It's, it's hard to look at that and say they didn't, they're not doing it right or something, I guess. Like in a roundabout way, I was sort of going to ask you about where this idea of rebellion came from. Cause it's, you've got it all over the publishing. And so at some point you must've thought, that there is a better way to do this. There's something to rebel against. It came from the book. Yeah. No, I know. Which is interesting. Yeah. Right. In uh, the 12 and 12, mm-hmm. in step seven, uh, Bill Wilson writes, rebellion dogs are every step at no. first. Yeah. So that is what he wrote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then I was in a AA band. We had a band and we played here and there, mostly you know, young people's conferences in the 80s. The principal songwriter of the band, uh, a woman named Kathy, she wrote a song called Rebellion Dogs. And it was about these dogs that followed her around and she couldn't shake them. That sort of imagery always sat with me. And when I was thinking of a publishing name, I thought, I'm going to I have to find Kathy and tell her I'm stealing her title. And she was she was delighted that I did. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you feel like a rebel though in this whole thing? This it's kind of a rebellious thing you've started. I think. Do you, do uh, people treat you that way at meetings? Do they know your views on uh, that stuff? You know, some do. The conservatives. Uh, I mean, any book based society, and AA is one of them. Uh, in time divides into two camps. There is the preserving the integrity of the message camp Mm -hmm. and the widening the gateway camp. You know, some will want to make it inclusive to everyone and others will say, oh, let's stick to our knitting, primary purpose, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing, right? I am of the widening our gateway camp. 
Yeah. I, I definitely am. Again, people get caught in, you mentioned semantics. Mm. You know, someone says, uh, uh, I'm an addict. And, oh, this is AA. Blah, blah. The tradition is a desire to stop drinking. Right. It isn't a rule that we identify as an alcoholic. It, some people see labeling myself that way as something negative. You know, I want to think about myself as a person in recovery. I mean, who cares how we label ourselves? Membership is self-determined. So no one should point the finger at anyone and say, you know, are you an alcoholic or not? Well, right, and or or have a problem if somebody decides that's what how they want to refer to themselves. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Bill Wilson. I mean, everyone I know who knew him uh, said he was the most inclusive person they had ever met. Wow. And uh, you know, he always was looking for a way to accommodate. How can we accommodate? Wow. Consider. When AA started, there was still segregation. Mm. It was a fight to include women in AA. It was a fight to include African-Americans in AA, uh, gay and lesbian meetings. And so there is some, you know, resistance to the idea of people interpreting the uh, uh, steps in a secular way, taking God out of their program. I mean, if you feel that your sobriety is granted by uh, an intervening, interfering deity, and someone says, oh, that's a myth. <laughs> you know, that's that can be offensive, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. nobody means to offend, but, you know, we all live in shaky constructs. <laughs> we call the world we live in, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. there is a certain amount of what we call uh, narcissism of small differences inside AA. Interesting, yeah. You're you're almost you're pretty much the keynote of the first annual We Agnostic and Free Thinkers International AA convention starting this Thursday, <laughs> Santa Monica. Right, you're the opening slot. Uh, yeah, I, I got the opening slot. I wouldn't call it keynote. Reverend Ward Ewing is there. He's a uh, chair of general service emeritus. He just rotated out. He was a big promoter of a agnostic and atheist pamphlet in AA. Wow. And and he was also very much against things like at the World Conference. It was in uh, Texas. It was in uh, San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And he thought we should really think twice about things like saying the Lord's Prayer at the end of a meeting. Yeah. I mean, he's in the religion business. Yeah. Right. And, but yeah. he thinks in AA you leave your higher power at the door. Hmm. And uh, in, in terms of... Yeah, how you describe them in a meeting, let's keep it anecdotal right. for, for those of us who believe. And I'm kind of that way, too. When someone tells me, well, God bless you, Joe, I don't correct them and insist that they give me some sort of secular blessing. I mean, they're just wishing me well for crying out loud. I just stopped sneezing. <laughs> it works then. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, tell us about this event itself. I'm very excited about it. There's a a world directory of uh, AA agnostic meetings that was uh, launched by, there's uh, probably seven to ten agnostic AA meetings in New York City, and they started collecting a database of all of them around the world. Mm -hmm. It's grown 40% from 2010 to 2014. 
Now, we're, we're hardly the newest, biggest thing. We're like 200 meetings maybe, right, of mm-hmm. 115,000 meetings. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're taking over or <laughs> anything. But there were enough of us that we had this relationship online in, you know, Yahoo groups or Facebook. And uh, let's get together young people's meetings. They have their annual conference and, you know, there's all these retreats and things. We thought, yeah, let's let's do it. And we talked about it for a long time. And uh, there's been uh, a We Agnostics meeting in West Hollywood since 1980. And some of those members said, well, someone's got to actually take the bull by the horns and do it. And and here's to them. Way to go, California. Yeah, Everything right. starts there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you can still go. If, if, I'm, if we're out in California, yeah. you can still go. Yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, some people listening to this, uh, it'll have already passed. But right. it's the Thursday the 6th to Saturday the 8th. The, the website is W-A-F-T-I-A-A-C, uh, which is We Agnostics and Free Thinkers international aa convention.org that's awesome .org. and i'll put that in the the show notes right. um that'll be up for you know at least the week you know that brings up a question i so just to back up for a minute you you've yeah. for what is that so three decades you've been essentially you've been involved with aa yeah and so over time your relationship has evolved initially right. you know you were the reluctant teen um, and <laughs> you, you, you gradually moved into a point where I, I'm, I'm assuming you sort of embraced traditional AA or, or maybe from the beginning you were having the, the, the challenge with higher powers. and I, Like I said, I used to talk in such a way right. that my lack of connectedness, I wouldn't say I was trying to deceive anybody, but, you know, it's a rigorously honest program. Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to frame this in such a way where I'm not saying through my prayers, God has told me X. You know, I just found a way to sort of, I guess, talk around it. And and it's pretty easy to do. You know, even after a couple of meetings, you see a lot of people nodding. We think we're having this, you know, universal experience and we're not. We're all as individual in our recovery as our thumbprints. right? Right. I was always really welcome no matter how outrageous I was often I was late to meetings or whatever and in the 90s I started to see this you can call it big book thumping I've got nothing against this sort of back to basics culture of Mm -hmm. this is how it was done it works I don't doubt for a minute it's getting people sober fantastic what what I disagree with is referring to every other brand of recovery is watered down AA. I'm not going to say that about what they're doing. And I would ask that they respect what I'm doing as conscious sobriety. I've put a lot of thought into it. You know, I put a lot of work into it. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. who are we to compare our sobrieties? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I didn't even, I didn't even, wasn't even aware of the term or didn't realize that uh, until somebody called me a dry drunk about five, six months ago, once I started doing this because I, you know, wasn't involved. And I'm like, really? But so, well, so here's no question. So at some point, though, it, that did change. Do you only go to WAF Ag- Agnostic meetings? Yeah. No. 
No, I'm I'm I uh, owe my life to mainstream AA, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean I really consider what we're doing even further back to basics. I mean, back to basics talks about you know the big book, the twelve steps, and four sessions, and you know they have this sort of ritualistic application of the twelve steps. But AA was not founded on the 12 steps. It wasn't even founded on the big book. The anniversary of AA is when the first two members got sober sharing their stories with each other. Hmm. AA's anniversary is uh, June 10th, 1935, when the second alcoholic, Bob, uh, got sober. Wow. And years it was years before there was a book and there were 12 steps. The first uh, edition of the big book had 29 stories in it. This is a pretty good study group because they're all dead and we know how the story ended. Yes. And just like we hear in meetings, 50% of those, uh, 14 of the uh, 29 stories, uh, stayed sober from the time they wrote that book. Wow. Uh, seven of them went back to drinking and uh, died uh, of the disease, not just with the disease, but of the disease. And seven others got drunk after the book came out, but eventually got sober and died sober. Wow. So there you have your 50% right from the get-go, yep. another 25%, and another 25% we just couldn't help. Wow. That's, that's still the same odds. It, and Yeah, exactly. And those are all people telling their story yeah. before. Yeah there was 12 steps or any big book to quote pages from. Hmm. So do you, do you work the steps or, or do they just, I mean, you know, do you go through them with people? I'm a, yeah, I, I guess I would call myself a 12 step apologist. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I think they're great. If I'm sort of helping someone, mm -hmm. someone, someone will ask, oh, do you sponsor people, Joe? And I say, well, I'm no life coach. Don't come to me to say who you should date or yeah. what job you should take. or You know, I, I, I can't give you any advice about that. But if you want to work through the steps, I've done it. I have no expertise, but I'll share my experience yeah. with you. And I'll say to them, you know, if there is a word that is a, a deal breaker for you, change the word. The word won't mind. Mm. And this was kind of the approach. I was a smart ass when I got sober, right. and my uh, sponsor was a bartender. I figured he's not going to steer me wrong. <laughs> 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 he's not going to be any sort of religious fanatic, you know. Right. I had this game where I would ask him questions, and then I would criticize his answer, or I would be skeptical or whatever. And uh, eventually, you know, he would say, I said, well, you know, what does this step mean? Or how, how do I work this step? He goes, well, you're the genius. You tell me. <laughs> and that's really the the way it should be, right? You know, and, and then I, you know, would bounce it off him. And he said, is it working for you? Then that's the way to do it. That's cool. Interesting. Next, yeah. right? And, and I try to take that approach too because, and I'll tell anyone, if you get to a step where you just can't live with it, move on. Like some people stop right at step one. I love this powerlessness word. Mm -hmm. Well, now you can look up alternative 12 steps or agnostic steps or whatever. You, you find all kinds of 
versions that avoid that word. Yeah. And, and it does talk about it in the past tense. Uh, some people think that the 12-step modality is uh, learned helplessness. Hmm. And I just disagree with that. You know, I, I think that's an intellectual look at it. It certainly isn't my experience. You know, in the third step, there's no higher power. Is, there, is that step different? That, that there's mean? a good question. Step three, what do you do with this higher power? There are a couple of alternatives. One is a higher purpose. A good friend of mine was uh, in and out of treatment centers. Uh, two of them were 12-step based. Two of them weren't. Uh, his last drink was just going to be a lost weekend, and he was going to start again on Monday. Mm. He uh, woke up in a psych ward. His, even his own brother wouldn't return his phone calls. He said, I don't want to die a drunk. And he tried it one more time. He went to treatment, and he left a high-paying job to become a drug counselor. And, uh, and this was his higher purpose. This is what motivated him to live sober. He eventually succumbed to cancer, and it's a huge loss to our home group. His name was Wayne, but uh, I will always remember his discussion on step three about a higher purpose. And hmm. for other people, it can be something secular like uh, the power of example. In the book Alcoholics Anonymous itself, the spiritual experience appendix mm-hmm. was was added to the second printing of the first edition. Mm -hmm. And it sort of talks about how we might have given people the impression that to get sober, you needed this overwhelming God consciousness. And we're here to tell you, you don't. A lot of our members go through this in what William James calls the educational variety. It happens slowly over a period of years. And we find we have tapped an unsuspecting inner resource, which some of us identify with as our power greater than ourselves. And it's our more religious members that call that God consciousness. And and from a theist point of view, that inner resource is, you know, your God box, I guess. That's where your higher power is talking to you. But it can be some it's an eastern philosophy that you know if you uh, are trying to replace the the romantic dream of drinking with the romantic dream of you know biblical god you know you're just replacing one dream for another but to look inside one doesn't dream they awake Mm -hmm. and so an awakening can be you know a a rational awakening as much as can be a spiritual awakening. In the We Agnostics part of the book, and I haven't read that in a long time, but it seems, I think it makes this same case. Like, you just need this minimum amount of something, right? Like, it yeah. talks about this door being a little bit open, and that's all that you need. On careful reading of We Agnostic, that's the one chapter that really lights a fire under the butts of uh, true atheists, because it does say it's only a beginning eventually and bill wilson blurts out eventually you got to come to this either god is or he is not what shall it be gotcha. to a true agnostic you fail just by answering that question right whether you say god is or god isn't uh, an agnostic would say it's unknown and unknowable right. spirituality can't possibly be binary can't possibly be a right answer and a wrong answer. And uh, so I'm okay with this 
either God is or he isn't, what shall it be? I say it shall be that man created God instead of God created man. So now that I've made my bed, I'm going to lie in it. How am I going to work these steps in accordance with, uh, you know, that inner resource as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for a burning bush? Right. Well, I, I love the awakening <laughs> analogy. I think yeah. that's just, just awesome. I didn't quite understand how, how it could all sort of coexist, I guess, being the outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It works, you know. I, I, I get it. But what, what it's made me think—I know you, you place a lot of value on on what AA has done for you, and so you worked within this existing system. Did you ever consider just going elsewhere? You know, did you consider—and I, I don't know when it when it was developed, even, but like Smart or SOS or whatever other options there were, as opposed to making alterations to an existing. You know, honestly, I'm lazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've read a lot of their literature. I planned to go to an SOS meeting. I never got around to it. Hey, we're like, you know, yeah, I interviewed. Yeah, that's right. You were trying to get to an SOS meeting at your first AA meeting. Uh, We made it. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Wrong one. But uh, I interviewed James Christopher. I was writing an article for a magazine and I talked to the founder of it. And and I totally respect what they're doing. Part of AA is just a social thing. You know, I I knew the people here and, you know, and and it's not like I could be kicked out. I had enough tenacity to know that an intergroup can say we're not going to list agnostic groups, and that happens some places. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that's a, a horrible betrayal of the spirit of the traditions. Yeah. But you know that's human nature. I don't blame AA for that. Right. You know we we see that everywhere. We see it in politics, and we see it in religious strife, and you know. Uh, you know, some people make a career out of it, Bill Maher or whoever, right? You know, mm-hmm. but uh, the reality is AA doesn't reject me. Just, uh, you know, a few people who think that they're above the traditions or that they that they see the traditions as uh, some sort of dogmatic rule. Right. I'm not against tradition. I'm against dogma. I'm yes. against making anything sacred. Even the definition of alcoholism as a disease, as a metaphor, okay, I'll go with that. You can't see it in a microscope. I'm not convinced it's not a behavioral issue. Metaphorically, okay, alcoholism or addiction, it's a disease. Uh, But, you know, could you say that about compulsive spending or sex addiction or gambling. Show me the biology. It's hard to find. Uh, So I I don't want to tie myself to, you know, either a dogmatic definition of what addiction is or a dogmatic definition of what recovery is supposed to look like or how you get there. Right. I'm going to switch topics. (laughs) Okay. Crazy topic. So I listen. My son has ADHD, and I listened to your podcast. Ah, yes. And it was absolutely fascinating. And it was just, and the podcast was, uh, you interviewed this doctor who had written this book, Dr. Timothy, I believe. Uh, uh, Tim Bilkey. The book is called Fast Minds, How to Thrive if You Have ADHD. Yeah. And your angle was this dual, dual addiction, people with ADHD. The statistic that jumped out for me was untreated untreated ADHD in 
teens are 60 percent 60% of them are going to become addicted to something. Wow. Yeah, that is, is unbelievable. I mean, I could see my pattern there. Remember, I'm a, yeah. I've never had a legal drink. Like when he's talking to other doctors about looking for ADHD, he says, ask your 11-year-olds, do you smoke? And a doctor wouldn't even think to ask such a question. How could an 11-year-old smoke, right? You know, are, are they sexually active at 12, right? Mm. I mean, these are symptoms of ADHD. Uh, some of the uh, symptoms include... Novelty seeking, mm-hmm. impulsivity, mm-hmm. Uh, they're distractible, yep. scattered. Yep. It's really easy for them to, I guess, self-medicate right. those symptoms because our world does not reward people who show up late, uh, people who forgot to call you back. You know, people think you don't care. You're not taking this seriously. And, and we see that in recovery, right? Uh, he said, and we talked about 90 meetings in 90 days, right. you know, it's just not going to happen. That's a guaranteed failure right. for someone with any kind of mood, a disorder mm-hmm. or learning disability or any of those things. Right. Yeah. And, and they're so common when uh, in terms of the comorbidity. Yeah, which was really interesting. I know in in some ways I was like, oh, you guys are talking about me. And, I, and then you were talking about my son. And I was like, wow. <laughs> He's really hitting close to home. Huh. But the, the treatment for it, this accommodation, medication, and mindfulness, yeah, I thought was interesting. Yeah, talk a little bit about that, because my wife's terrified of drugs for this, so we've huh. never tried it. But I think the three of those things together, especially trying to teach a kid to be mindful mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. his own thinking, which was just fascinating to me at that age, uh, you know, a young kid to try to get them to be this, you know. It, it is a, a skill. Um, John Kabat-Zinn has a, a couple of books, and he's kind of has a Zen leaning, and and he's used mindfulness to treat people with chronic pain. He, he's found that it's useful in overcoming trauma. I took a mindfulness course, and it wasn't at all like meditation. Meditation, I'm trying to clear my mind. Right. Forget it. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> right? You, you know, you, you don't choose your thoughts, right? You know, that you, and mindfulness isn't about thinking the right way or, mm-hmm. you know, it's about just being aware, being conscious mm-hmm. of the thoughts, right. sensations, and feelings that you're having. It's just taking inventory, so to speak. And so you can't get it wrong. And, and it doesn't require... Uh, incense or a mat or a quiet room. You can do it on the subway. You can do it while you're standing in line. I tend to get institutional rage. I get mad at traffic and sure. the banking system Cable and companies. sometimes Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And they don't <laughs> vote the way I <laughs> would have. You know, So you pull yourself back from that and you go, what's really going on here? I, I think even children can learn mindfulness. I'm kind of pill adverse as well. One way or another for people, get uh, medical advice. uh, Because I know so many people whose mood disorders or uh, bipolar disorders have, they found the right medication and, you know, it removed the barrier. They have a, you know, an even fight with the rest of us in life. Right. Well, Uh, but I, I, t- I tend to stay away from any of that. 
I mean, I take Lexapro and I'm you know, yeah. as open about that as anything. And yeah. um, I was super reluctant. And I finally had a doctor say the most undoctor like thing to get me to take it. He goes, he said, what will it matter in 10,000 years anyway? So, I'm like, <laughs> so I took it. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I call it a lifesaver. So, and I, I think I mean that pretty literally. Yeah. Um, whatever ma- works and, and makes sense. But that's right. And, and accommodation was the other thing. And, and the book talks about how you, you need advocates, you need a team, right? You know, and, uh, you know, check in with people because we're our own worst critics. And uh, sometimes we need someone else to say, you know, you, you tried that, it didn't work. Mm, right. So let's try something else. What else you got? We, we can try 10 different things. It doesn't matter. We got time. Right. And, uh, and that, that's better than just getting frustrated and saying, I can't, I won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Life is not geared for this kid. His school right. is not geared hmm. for this kid. And it's just, and you, you can just tell there's, he holds it together all day and just, <clears throat> and you know, you just feel so bad for him. And, but on the, on the other hand, it's just like anybody, anybody else, he's super creative. He has lots of, you know, there's an awesome child in there for sure. I, I'm scared that he's all those addictive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. You can just kind of see oh, it yeah. coming and it's terrifying because, you know, you, you're not going to be able to stop him exploring all these things. Mm. And it's just tough. But uh, I, I love this idea of trying to head it off with some mindfulness practice and places to go to soothe yourself, I guess. Uh, AA has uh, one of its oldest slogans is think, think, think. Yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah. we we have to all alcoholics, I think, have a tendency to be impulsive. Yeah. In songwriting, we learn, don't be married to your first idea. Even if it's a good idea, you might be in a mine of good ideas. Keep digging. Yeah, yeah. And when I get to that point where I'm sure, then I ask myself one more question. What else could this mean? That's great. Well, it's funny. We're both in the creative business, and on our lazy days, I fall in love with the first idea and get it out the door. But, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely yeah. right. You you got to keep digging. That's and that's where you get it. That's where you find the true gems for sure. Yeah. Don't you love this new medium? The gatekeepers are gone. Uh, I love since right now, uh, there's other podcasts uh, that are sort of 12-step oriented. I love it. I started a radio show devoted to Canadian independent music called Indie Can Radio, the best music you've never heard. And it started just as a podcast and eventually got picked up by a few college radio stations and then eventually satellite radio, which meant, you know, I reluctantly did that uh, because it meant that the bands I was featuring got a bigger audience. But now you have the constraint of it has to start at this time and end at this time and you got to do it every week where uh, a podcast you can do 10 a year or five a year or 24 a year. Yeah. And you don't have to pause for commercials or any of that stuff. And I think it's it's great. I think it's going to be super for the recovery community and or any kind of niche community. Absolutely, the podcast community is phenomenal. And that's uh, I started listening to a couple, and I thought this is what you know I want to do. And my immediate thought after that was, and I'm going to ask Jeff to do it with me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and you, you just let the uh, community decide. You, you know, uh, people like it or they don't like it, and and who cares whether it's dozens of listeners or thousands exactly. of listeners? 
you know? Um, well, and, you know, one thing that I think we found out pretty quickly is as long as it's one, you know, it's like you get one, um, you know, email or tweet or whatever, some somebody saying that it's it's helped them or they gained some insight or perspective or something from it, and that's worth doing, you know, for somebody yeah. in, in recovery. Uh, the w- one thing I, I did want to ask before we before we let you go is you you had said earlier and it really struck me when you said you had never had a legal drink so yeah it's been decades of sobriety for you yeah and I I don't know the the, the niceties of, of talking about recovery so re- <laughs> relapse free yeah yeah okay yeah, relapse free um, and so you know my my experience in recovery has been sort of in isolation with the exception, as I mentioned plenty of times Mm -hmm. with Jeff as sort of a touchstone when I am looking for one and coming into this community, I I got told um, in an online comment, you know, section that Mm -hmm. I'm recovered. Don't worry if I happen to have, if some alcohol happens to pass my lips, if I ask, if I happen to have a drink, don't worry about it, which I just found to be the most absurd advice to be diagnosed by somebody in a comment section online um, you know, it, it was a recovery site, um, right? You know, after 17 years, it, it, first of all, the thought wouldn't cross my mind, but I would just, when it, if it did, I would think it would just be the most ridiculous thing to do. And I guess I'm asking you if it ever crosses your, your mind <laughs> at, after all this time, it wouldn't cross mind that I'm recovered. I'm well, done. I, I, I don't use that word. Usually when someone says they're a recovered alcoholic, they're referring to a passage which is, we recovered from a seemingly helpless state of mind and body. Right. And so you've recovered from hopelessness. You haven't recovered from addiction. This word does not mean what you think it means. That's when terrific. You're right. Use the word recovered. I certainly don't know uh, how to use it. You know, it means something to them. They're telling their story in their language, mm-hmm. and I don't correct them or fight them on it. I like what Al-Anon does, you know, because it seems like there's some sort of currency, which is your length of sobriety. And I completely disagree with that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I love the traditions and I love getting involved in AA service work. You go to your home group and see how many votes you get for your 30 years of sobriety. You get one. Just like the guy who's been here five days, mm-hmm. he gets one vote too. And that really tells you where you stand. And in Al Anon, for instance, they measure it from the time you started, not from the time you got it right. If you have an emotional outburst, you don't change your Al Anon sobriety date. Total time in has value. Even people who have recidivism, they constantly relapse. They still have so much to share. They haven't lost their four years of sobriety because they drank for two weeks. They aren't to be uh, shamed in the meeting and say, you know, start from the beginning. And the other thing is, despite the fact that I've never drank or used illicit drugs or even taken more neocitrin than was medically recommended, you know, it's not like I don't have obsessive compulsive behaviors it's not like I haven't got out of control with whatever it was. Pecan whether it was, pie, right? Pecan yeah, pie. Pecan yeah, pecan pie. Yeah, pecan dating, pie. relationships, work, sure. spending, bankruptcy. Right. I'm still susceptible to magical thinking. and I'm still <laughs> susceptible. I'm not here to do it perfectly. That's not my goal. Right. It's to do it authentically. And so however that manifests itself, I mean, if you're calling it a disease, 
then relapse is part of disease, right? Mm. You know, it isn't like you didn't do your step four right. right. You know, I don't know if you did or you didn't, but, you know, people get cancer. They don't say, well, you didn't want it enough. Your cancer came <laughs> right. back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some conferences you go to, people will introduce themselves as being an alcoholic and they'll state their sobriety date. And I find that pompous bullshit. <laughs> Will you be editing that out? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, no, I mean, no. I can't, can't imagine why. God. Yeah, no, I just, is, do you just feel like it's, it's just irrelevant, the sobriety yeah. date? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's absolutely valuable. I mean, look at it this way. Let's yeah. count it in days, right? I've got about 12,000 days. Okay. And if that was money, $12,000 wouldn't solve my biggest problems. But I wouldn't flitter it away. Right. It's something of value. Yeah. So, it, of course, my sobriety has uh, value. And, of course, it gives me a sense of mastery that I've been able to maintain this. But it doesn't give me a leg up on either of the two of you or anyone I meet at a meeting. Some of those great expressions I wrote in my book came out of the mouth of babes, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Well, Joe, that's awesome. It is. Um, it's beyond belief. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. That's how we do yeah. it. That, thanks, man. That yeah. was good. Um, yeah. And I mean, honestly, great, good luck in Santa Monica. That sounds so much fun. When are you leaving to go there? A Wednesday morning. I think it's really significant that it's happening. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully it'll keep happening until it doesn't have to happen anymore. Because some people just feel like they can't express their doubt in a meeting yeah. without someone worrying about them or mm -hmm. criticizing them. And, and that doesn't happen at every meeting. We talked about that, right? Yeah. You know, when, when I work on the phones, I, I don't tell people to try an AA meeting. I say, go to a dozen. Yeah. Because, you know, you never know what you're getting for the first one. It could be more, it could be bigger or smaller than you like. Right. It could be more conservative, more liberal than you like. It could have more rituals than you like or not structured enough. Yeah. They're like bars. You find a place where you'll finish your drink and leave and never come back. And other places you could, hey, I could live here. Yeah. That's what AA meetings are. They're that place somewhere in your town. You'll find you know, your people. I love that you're using a bar metaphor to describe AA meetings. I'm, bust, I'm busting that out right. next meeting. Um, it's, so, it's perfect, though. It's, that's it's, hilarious. It just nails it. I mean, it's been yeah, fascinating. Been great. Fantastic. Thank and, you. And uh, we're fans. We'll continue to follow you. I'm going to go catch up on some of your other podcasts, so that I've been getting Ditto. And, uh, Ditto. Yeah. And do you anticipate the, the, the uh, I'm going to call it Waftiac. Uh, you guys okay. hate that. Uh, do you anticipate those being recorded for people that can't make it? Oh, as a matter of fact, I last I heard is the uh, speakers and panels are going to be recorded. Fantastic. So That's great. They'll be available. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so you, if this comes out too late, you can still catch it all. Yeah. That's right. And Somewhere, Joe, I'm going to put, put every, just about everything we talked about that I, I managed to um, get down uh, in the, the show notes. So. There'll be links to you know, Beyond Belief, to Waftiak, to Rebellion Dogs. Um, yeah, all of it. All right. So then thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime, maybe uh, after you're back from the... Okay. Thanks right. for having me, boys. Thanks for coming. You bet. See ya.